Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. So we're talking into what is called the culture of honour, uh, a term that is somewhat bandied around these days, but uh, probably much more talked about than it is understood. You'll understand that, the, that religion, as we know it, as the world knows it out there, the world with no God reference, the world who observes the Christian faith, when they look at religion, they would put Christianity largely in the same category as Hinduism, Islam, and so on, and they equate religion normally to a moral code or a set of rules, whereas the kingdom is all about relationship. The very fact that Jesus came, he didn't come so that you could keep the rules better. He didn't come so that you would feel bad about yourselves now that he's died and you're still doing the same stuff. He came to establish a way that you could grow into a closer and intimate life-giving relationship with him. That was all he was prepared to pay such a high price for, is to get you back home again. So this was a relational kingdom. His priority is relationship. And everything that plays out through the kingdom tends to be relationship. If you're talking about religion, religion operates largely out of a transactional mindset. If I behave myself, I get access to God. If I'm good enough, I'll get to heaven. If I do this, God will do that. If I put 10% in the, in the giving thing every week religiously because I'm told I have to, and if I do, God's obliged to do something, then you've just missed the whole point. Because it's not about transactional theology. God does not work to formulas. I wish he did. It would be so much easier to preach. It would be so much easier for us to understand. But formulas rob us of faith because we start relying on the formula. It takes a certain element of faith to believe, yeah, God exists, that's fine. But then we revert to religion mindset that says, if I just do this, he will do that. And wonder why it doesn't equate that way, why he seems to be inconsistent. It's because he's not working the formulas. He works to relationship and to faith. And so let me hone this in on how this works with what we are going to call honour. And this morning I'm mindful the kids are in, so we'll just see how we go time-wise. Uh, we'll try and go a little bit shorter, but I want, to, I want to really dig into this over a number of weeks because this will change your life. If you can understand what a culture of honour really looks like, and it is so countercultural to Australia... Australia, uh, I come from good Irish stock on one side, um, Second Fleet convicts, um, so I understand the heart of rebellion. Um, as we got more and more refined, we called it egalitarianism, where we just said we're all on the same level, thank you very much. And uh, the, the trouble with that mindset is it's partly true. In God's eyes, we are all on the same level. But he doesn't operate when it comes to um, the, his channel of kingdom authority and power in a horizontal way. He relates horizontally, but he imbues relationally. So he, start, he talks in terms of blessing, in terms of inheritance, uh, reward, all these sorts of issues that are activated through a kingdom and relational paradigm, which is very different to, what, to the way we work. So our culture, our Australian culture, we see someone rise and we just want to tear them down. We, our, our websites, if you look at any news website, it's all about criticism, tearing down, and it doesn't honour people. It doesn't lift them up and say, wasn't that fantastic what they did? It doesn't call the gold out in people. It doesn't see what God's sown in there and draw that out, which is how the kingdom works. So let me tease this out in your real life, this, and let's bring it right home, because this is a wonderful theory until it actually uh, 
shows up in your life as a, a form of blockage that you want to try and overcome through behaving yourself better. Have you ever lost respect for, uh, say, a Christian teacher or leader? I know you're not thinking of me yet, but <laughs> give it time, give it time, where something's said or done that we don't agree with, or there's a tension, or there's a, there's a decision made that we don't like, there's a way we do things that we don't like, and, we, and something deposits in your heart, and, and you say, I don't agree with that. And suddenly, in the weeks and months, and for some of us, the years that follow, suddenly we don't seem to get any reward out of their teaching or their ministry anymore. It's almost like, I thought they were good, now they're not. Something, something happens in you, and, so, and it's even more annoying because five other people will come up to you and say, did you hear that? Did you get that? God's teaching me so much through this ministry, and you're thinking, I'm getting nothing. I did once, but not anymore. Ever had that? Don't put your hands up, and especially not if it's been in the last uh, few weeks. Um, have you ever in your workplace, for example, or a ministry, um, not really given it your best because you think, well, it doesn't deserve my best, um, I'm just getting by here, this is just a stepping stone to something else, but as you've done that, find yourself going round and round the same mountain um, and realising that the door into your next opportunity doesn't ever open or it just seems to be taking a heck of a long time. And you think, I'm better than this. I'm bigger than this. Why, why can't I get into this new part of my life? This will come back to honour. Um, have you noticed, and you probably won't, the people around you may notice this more, but if you treat people with less respect than, they, than the kingdom would say they deserve, especially family, husbands, wives, wives, husbands, uh, parents, children, and we treat them with a little bit more disdain than we know is right, that your own spiritual walk tends to take a dip. Something dives in your ability to engage with God, or it seems he's, he, the heavens go like brass, and there's something locks down, and you probably haven't put one and one together yet, but, there's, but there's, a, there's this tenuous link there. Have you ever been frustrated at life, um, feeling like you deserve more, and then you see someone else who seems to deserve blessing less, get it. Doesn't that drive you nuts? You think, I'm, I've been better than them. They're, I see all the sin in their life and doesn't God see it? Should I remind him? Because they're getting the blessing I was hoping I would get. This, a lot of this comes down to a culture of honour and understanding how the kingdom works. So the, the rubber's really going to hit the road here. Because the way we value God People around us, people that we would say are below us in the sense of like our kids and so on, that we, we have an authority there. Um, it has spiritual implications on your life, not just um, mental, not just relational. So let me introduce it from Scripture, and the best one to do this uh, is Jesus himself. It's Mark chapter 6, 4 to 5. And I'll be interested to know as feedback whether you've ever heard a sermon on this before in your Christian walk. Jesus said to them, he was talking... In his hometown now, the, the context here is he's come back to Nazareth and he's grown up there. They've seen Jesus grow up. So they know him. They know him better than you and I, right? There's no denying this. They've seen him from toddler uh, to carpenter to leaving home and, and suddenly becoming the rabbi of rabbis. So they know him. So my challenge here with us now is do you know Jesus? Because the way you know Jesus may well be the reason you've constrained him. They knew him and in that context could see no miracles. So I've, I've known many versions of Jesus over the years. Um, when I became a Christian, I got saved into a Baptist church and it was uh, a conservative Baptist church. So I got to know the conservative Baptist Jesus. 
And he was a great man. He was always dignified, and he spoke from the word only. And uh, he had nothing much else to say, really. But, uh, but you could find him in the Bible there. And, and the more I learned Greek, the more he seemed to speak to me. But he, but he, never, he was politically correct and, and dignified. And there was nothing wild about him. So when I, when I read scriptures of him whipping people in the temple, I don't get that guy. Right? The Baptist Jesus. There's the Anglican Jesus. Oh, Tally ho. The Anglican Jesus is just, come on down and politely bow the altar now and it's spiffing good. You know? And so we get this... We, we box Jesus in to this way that we know him. There's probably a Churches of Christ Jesus. I haven't quite met him yet. Uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. I got to know the Pentecostal Jesus. Anyone been there? He's awesome fun. No rules, Jesus. You know, it's like, no, we're just wild and we're having a great time. And the, and the louder we scream, the more he seems to enjoy it. And uh, he just loves slaying demons and breaking through walls and having us walk on water. Happens all the time. And we think, this is awesome. The Pentecostal Jesus. But he doesn't know Greek. And, um, you know, it, it, all, it can all get a bit loose around the edges. We're going to have to erase this from the tape because I've offended 90% of Christianity already. But, um, but you, get, you get the picture. We box Jesus in to our version of what, of what, because we make Jesus in our image, don't we? And it says, he's, one of the first commandments, don't make any idol, any graven image of me. Don't try and represent me because you're only going to do it. The best you're going to do is represent me based on what you think I'm like and you constrain me to the way you're constrained. And so this is what's happened in Nazareth. And he comes home and there's just nothing going on. He's seen miracles, he's seen all the stuff, but nothing's going on in his hometown. This, this baffles me. When I, when I read this at first, I thought, how is it possible that a human being or a group of them could possibly constrain the all-consuming, powerful God? It does not make any sense unless you understand a culture of honour. So Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honour except in his own, his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do, not would not, not didn't feel like it, he could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. So we look at that with a, with a surface reading and we go, well, faith is the problem. Well, yeah, faith is the problem, but this faith has been rooted in something deeper, something more significant, because you can't conjure up faith. You get faith from knowing, in a true knowing sense, the faithful one. And if, you, if you've boxed him in, the way we box him in will limit what we see. So if I go to Africa, I see the African Jesus. It's Jehovah Jireh, my provider. It's like complete faith that he can and he will do anything. And guess what? You see him do anything. You see people raised from the dead. We see that. You know, and you see uh, cancers drop off. You see the lame walk. And we don't see that here. Why? Because we box him in. Our faith isn't operating at that level. Why? Because we're not honouring him the way the kingdom would define honour. Because we think sometimes honour looks a certain way. It's, it's giving this, it's doing that, it's, it's saying the words, but our heart's far from him. But we think that's honour. Well, I'm playing the game, I'm, I'm jumping through the hoops. His idea of honour and ours is radically different. Honour was a problem and a lack of blessing, a lack of healings, a lack of something was the result of that. Now, you could be tempted now to get a bit religious on me with all this and start to say, ah, oh, I've got, here's my problem. Honour is going to be the answer. It doesn't, this isn't about every issue in your life. But it, it is about some, and, and they'll sneak up on you from behind. Let me give a personal anecdote. Many years ago, uh, 
Wow, it is many years ago now. When we first moved to Brisbane, um, I was about 27, 28 years, uh, years of age. We'd come up from, from New South Wales. And I'd, I'd come with a, a bit of a history. I'd had the, the blessing to be able to um, have an experience of starting a company that had gone nationally and, and just had a real win there as a young man, a, a design engineer that learned management and so on. And uh, when I came to Brisbane, my hope was, well, our career, my career will, will take its next level. I thought maybe I'll become a professional director or something and, and get into executive management, something like that. But as I got, all I, had, all I could do, because I had a mechanic, uh, diesel mechanics trade, I was a tradesman in my early life, I had to get a job temporarily um, as a diesel mechanic working on the lo local bus fleets. And um, that's what I'm least good at. If there's anything I could do worse than anything else, it's, it's be a mechanic. I'm much better at thinking than I am at doing, unfortunately. So it wasn't my comfort zone, and, and I got a job in the local bus company, and I think I'd chosen the, the worst bus company in, in Brisbane. These are the daggiest old buses, they were breaking down all the time, and, and my role was to come in and ultimately become sort of operations and workshop manager there and so on. And because it was against my grain, uh, I wasn't enjoying it, the, the tensions were rising, the pay was, was ridiculously small. Um, ridiculous. It was, it was almost illegal what I was on, but I, and I was on call 24-7, uh, I was rostering uh, up to 40 guys in their shifts and, as well as the mechanics, running all this responsibility. Had so much stress, I was actually getting violently ill, and most nights um, I'd wake up uh, vomiting at 2 o'clock in the morning, and um, through to about 4 or 5 o'clock, then have to get up in the morning and do it all again. It, obviously, this wasn't God's will for my life. Obviously, it wasn't God's will for my life. So I started applying for reasonable positions, CEO jobs, state manager jobs, things that I was qualified to do and had the experience to do. And do you think I could get a job? Do you think I could break out of this? I would go to, a, to a, a, uh, an interview and they'd say, you're either overqualified or um, it's not, you know, you're not quite the fit. I'm thinking, what do you mean I'm not the fit? I, I, I can do this with my eyes shut. And I'd walk outside and I'd have a parking fine on my car. And it, it got to the point where this went on for so long. I thought, I'm used to fighting the devil. He wears out after a while. I normally win, you know, because I've got access to God. He doesn't. But I thought, the devil's not this smart. This, this situation is so ridiculous. Only God could think this up. And so I thought, Lord, what am I missing here? And I realized that in that position, I wasn't giving it my best. I wasn't honoring God in that place. I wasn't being a godly example in that place because I was only... I was going, oh, I'm going to work. I wasn't giving it my best heart. Uh, and, and even though no one else really would have known that, I knew because I felt it was unfair. And surely this wouldn't be the sort of circumstance God would have me in. But then I realized, and the Lord did speak to me quite clearly from a Bible verse, said, you need, to, you need to give me your best. And by giving me, him, his, my best, it meant giving this workplace my best, which was very unfair, very unjust and out of my comfort zone. So I resolved the only way I'm going to do this was to literally walk to work, which is a 45-minute walk there and 45-minute back, and just pray and worship myself into such a good mood uh, when I got there that I could overcome this thing somehow. And it took me, I think it was nine months of that, where I, just, I would just walk and I would just sing out loud on the way to this job and, um, uh, and just worship, just worship. I, I didn't pray. I stopped praying that God would open the door. I just worshipped him for who he was. And finally one day it broke through. Finally I got there and I thought, I'm now bigger than this problem. I'm now, something's happened inside and now I've overcome it. Now it doesn't matter anymore. Now I'm not looking for other jobs. And I just started to worship. And now I've become that lunatic Christian guy at work who just sings praise songs all day. And, um, 
and I'm praying all day and I'm just, in the end, I'm having a ball there and I'm thanking God for this terrible circumstance. And um, the next thing you know, the boss calls me in after about a week of this and, and little did I know, he'd been trying everything to make me resign. He'd made this role so hard that any, any normal rooster would have just quit. And there I am singing and dancing in the buses out the back, you know, and, um, and he goes, look, I've got to be upfront with you. Uh, I've got, I'm going to make your job redundant. I said, why? I'm having a ball here. You know, we're, I'm, we're kicking goals. You're not paying me anything. You know, <laughs> why would you do that? And uh, finally it came out. He was, he, he, he was trying to weave that circumstance so that the, the owner's son could come in and do that role. And uh, this had been the ploy. You know, I didn't know that until much later. He owned up to it. But, um, but I went home and I, was, I thought, I came into the house with Trish. I said, Trish, I've just been sacked. And she's just going, you're an idiot. Like, why are you so happy? We've got two little kids and, and no hope of employment. You've been trying for years to get a job. What makes it? And I said, it's just okay. It's awesome. I'm out of work. Fantastic. And uh, the funny thing was, within, it was in under a week, um, I was re-employed in, in one of the positions that I would have dreamed of before. It was more than twice the money. It was half the work. I had a company car that any rev head would, would long for. It was a, a souped-up beast, you know. And I just literally dropped from this ridiculous situation to a sublime situation. You, you couldn't write a book about this. And, uh, and I was just laughing for the next two years. And, uh, and, uh, but it was this honour somehow unlocked. There was no formula to it. I literally just had to learn to honour God through my workplace. And in that place... Through honouring him, honour that place, let it be blessed and, uh, and reap the benefits of that in the end. So the question that comes out of that is, did I earn that blessing? Was it a transaction? Did God bless me because I was such a, a nice boy? Or did I make a way for it by getting my attitude out of the way? Did I, rather than earn the blessing, did I just make room for the blessing? Because this is the difference in the paradigm that we're trying to distribute here. That blessing isn't earned. It's formation. It's spiritual formation. It means I form up a space. It says, this space, Lord, I'm making this space. I'm forming it now for you. And I can form this with my finances. I can form it with my marriage, with my vocation, with anything I can say. I'm not rather than keeping it away from God and saying, you don't own that part. And by doing so, cutting off access for blessing. I can make a space and say, Lord, I'm in faith now, as a faith decision, I'm opening this area up to you and I will honour you in this space. Very different paradigm. And in, and in creating that formwork, it creates a space for him to bless. Got your attention yet? Let's have a look at 1 Peter 2, 17 to 18. It says, show proper respect. And when I say respect there, see honour, appropriate honour. Show proper respect slash honour to everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, honour the emperor, slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Let me define harsh for you. We think harsh might be the boss who takes credit for us doing good work. We think harsh is, I'm just, I haven't been promoted yet. Harsh is the Greek word skolios. It literally means to be crooked, to be perverse to be wicked, unfair, tyrannical, and unjust. Now, wives, don't put your husband in this category just yet. Right? He was, this harshness that he was talking about, he was talking about Herod. 
Herod was the same guy who tried to literally tried to kill Peter. He was killing the other disciples. He's saying, honour that man. Honour him because it's appropriate in the kingdom that we do that. It make, doesn't that rattle your cage a bit? You start to think about all the people in your life that you don't want to give appropriate honour to. He goes on in 1 Peter 3 and it's all the same dialogue about how we honour people and how we respect them in community. He says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called as unto God. We're honouring the higher authority. And Peter, in the, in the verses that follow this, you can look them up when you go home. He's saying just as Jesus did when he sat before Pilate. He could have said something. He could have argued, but he stayed silent, showing a degree of honour as to the higher authority, God because he wanted that flow of, of God's presence and that honour to continue in his life. See, inheritance comes to those who can steward that blessing. It's not withheld from us as a form of punishment. It's more often the case that we haven't made a conduit for that blessing to come through to our life. So it's not a formula that we can follow, it's faith. And honour, as you'll note from Peter, because he was saying honour the king, he wasn't living in obedience to that king. Honour is separate from obedience. You can honour someone without necessarily obeying them. Because honour is much more about an attitude of a bowed heart that shows respect than it is about following what they say letter and verse. Look at Ephesians 6, 2-3. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. He says honour them. It doesn't say obey them. If honouring equals obedience, then so be it. But if obedience goes against the word of God, if it goes against your own personal safety. You know, we've got to be sensible about this. We're not talking about allowing people to abuse you. We're talking about an attitude of heart reflected in the best way I've found in Scripture through Daniel and uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They said, King, we love you. King, live forever. But we're not going to do what you've told us to do. And so if you've got to kill us, you kill us. All honour to you, but we're honouring God. And so we can't obey what you have to say and yet we'll still show you proper submission. So let's define honour because we need to understand what honour is. If it's not obedience, what is it? There's a, couple of, um, there's a couple of descriptions that are deeply rooted in the Hebrew understanding of honour because we need to go back to what did it mean to the people uh, who described it. And a Hebrew teacher, uh, some of you may know, uh, Shane Willard, um, he, he gets around Australia quite a bit and globally. He's mentored by a, a Hebrew rabbi who goes into the depth of the, of the Talmud and what that all means. He described it to me once as, Honour, particularly um, honouring your parents, is a reflecting positively on the reputation of someone else. And so if I'm honouring father and mother, I'm living my life in such a way that makes them look good. So I may not necessarily obey them. They may not be believers. They may be telling me to do something that is against my safety. But I can live my life in such a way that people think, man, you've got fantastic parents. Look how you've turned out. And that's what they mean by honouring father and mother. And if we start to describe or start to define honour in that way where I'm, I'm living in such a way that what I have makes those who I honour be exalted, makes the best of them highlighted. Imagine if you applied that to something like your wealth and your money, because you're not giving as a transaction that he'd bless you. You're, you're investing your cash or your time or the way you speak to live in such a way that you're making our Father in heaven look good. That's honour. Psalm 3, uh, Proverbs 3, 9 to 10. In that perspective honor the lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops then your barns will be overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine so honor god with your wealth live your life in such a way spend your money in such a way that god gets the honor 
that God is glorified in what you do. That can look a lot of different ways. I know many believers um, don't just give to churches. They, they give to charities and, and other good work. They give to people personally. And God, and God is honoured by that. He applauds that. The interesting thing is, where you honour is often where you're blessed. And that's not because you've earned it, but it's saying you've made a form in that area to say, Lord, I've invited you in faith into this area. I'm going to honour you in this area. And then he's then open to bless in that area. And he doesn't, if we're going to play the game with that financially and say, well, Lord, I want to open my finances up to you. I'm going to give. He doesn't give you more so that you can get rich. He gives you more because now he can trust you. He gives it to you to be a steward of that blessing so you can give more and more out to his kingdom cause so he gets more and more glory. So the first description of honour is to highlight and emphasise that which is worthy in someone else. So I can do that uh, for you. I can honour you and I should honour you. And this is, the, this is the heart of what I really love to get to over the next few weeks is how do we create a culture of honour here? Because it's so un-Australian where I look at you and embarrass you sometimes because I see something in you that God's put in there and, and you call that out. You honour what God has done. You're honouring what God has built. And so I see something in you that you can't even see yourself. And I've seen it already here. I've seen people come in and you would never have known, would never have thought they could do or be what they're becoming. But in this setting, for some reason, God's just drawing out this gold and they've become much bigger than you, I would have ever thought. And you think, man, this is what we've got to be about. We've got to create spaces for people to honour people and say, you may feel like you're locked in your sin, you may feel overdefined by life, your, your family and your friends may have put you in a box, but we see something else in you that can bust out of that and you can become so much more than that. That's a culture of honour. And this is why in Genesis 1.28 we see this mandate, this creative mandate to name. Because this is what naming is. Naming is a form of honour. It's saying, I see in you, I'm naming you. Because a name represents the character. And that's how Jesus sees... Simon, but he calls him Peter. He sees something else. Abram becomes Abraham. Saul becomes Paul. It's, it's naming, it's, it's, it's honouring what God's put in there and drawing that out. Cooperating with God's vision for someone. And what's the evil one do? The exact opposite. The evil one pulls down. The evil one dishonours. The evil one points at what you've done wrong and defines you by that name. You stole something, you are a thief. God says, no, you are a saint. You're just not acting like one yet. Let's go, let's draw that out in you. You see how the difference there. So if you're self-condemning, guess who you're partnering with? It ain't God. It ain't God. If you're calling yourself stupid, if you think like you're a fool, if you think you're no one, you're telling yourself a lie and you're cooperating with the father of lies. Because God sees the gold. He put it in there, that potential that's in there. You're not a sinner by by identity you are not you're saved now you're a new creation you're you're a saint by identity and we can walk in that how am i going i'll do the second i've got 18 more pages to go but i'm not going to do that do you mind if i just let this overflow from week to week because this is i want to do this as well as i possibly can so the the second definition about honor is to value appropriately to value someone appropriately not overvalue, not undervalue, but give them the respect that they deserve. So Romans thirteen seven says, Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. But if honour, then give honour. So we've just got to work out what that honour looks like. Because honour is based on who God has made them to be, not what you and I assess them to be. We, and sometimes we have to honour people because of where God has put them, not because they seem to deserve it. 
so that's why we must honour the position sometimes, even if the person themselves is acting unworthy. And this is what God had called me to do with such a, a, a radical lesson that I had. I had to honour the person. I had to honour this boss who was obviously doing something wrong. And uh, that, this is where it bites, hey? This is where it begins to bite. So who do we honour? Who are we supposed to honour? So we're going to flesh this out over the next couple of weeks. Matthew 10, 40 to 42. Jesus makes this really clear. Uh, it's another one of those word, uh, words that we can replace. He says, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. So welcome means to embrace to value, or we could say to honour, potentially. So anyone who welcomes you, welcomes me. Anyone who welcomes me, welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. You could insert in there, anyone who receives a teacher, as the teacher God's made them to be, will receive that teacher's reward. The evangelist, the pastor, the father, the mother, the child, whoever it is, receive them as who God's made them to be and you'll receive the reward that comes from that relationship. Whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. You know what? You're all righteous. If you've given your heart to Christ, God sees you as righteous. So I see you as righteous. And if I receive you as righteous rather than judging you, defining you, I receive the reward that comes from being a part of your life. This is how, imagine, remember last week we talked in the sign-on day, we talked about the community isn't a bunch of individuals who think for themselves in the context of others. It's a bunch of people highly connected to each other. This is the next layer of this. If we're highly connected and I honour you as who you are, then I receive the reward from that. This is what it means to complement each other. Then your gift, I, I get rewarded by your gift. I don't have to get jealous that your gifting is higher than me or God's done something in your life that he doesn't in mine. He's done it to all of us if he's done it in one. It's a mind shift. If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to the one of these little ones who is my disciple, so there we go, the kids, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. So he's saying, he who welcomes, he, they welcome me. He's saying here that if you welcome any of these people, whether it be teachers, children, spouses, friends, bosses, whoever it is. If you welcome them, you're welcoming him. So by doing it, what we're doing is honouring the higher authority. We're recognising that even though the kingdom is a democracy in the sense of everyone has the same value, that there's a channel of blessing that is essentially vertical. So it's okay to be democratic, but the kingdom is not. The kingdom is not a meritocracy. The kingdom is not that, well, they deserve to be up high, so you know, that's why they're there. It's not an autocracy. It's not a, a dictatorship. It's a theocracy. God's in charge. He, he sets the game rules. And unless your name is Theo, and I know my grandson's name is Theo, but it's not what I'm talking about, it's not, it's not about you. It's about God. And, and the channel of blessing comes down and it's activated through appropriate uh, honouring of each other. So obviously, first of all, we must honour God appropriately. We must honour peers appropriately because he's saying if he welcomes you, a righteous person, uh, you're welcoming him. So, Think of that next time you give someone a handshake or a hug here. You're welcoming them, and by doing that, you're welcoming God. You're bringing more of what heaven has got for you in that relationship. Obviously, for those in authority over us, civil, relational, vocational, uh, in family, how do we do that? The little ones, even honouring kids sometimes, that the best thing you can do is treat kids with incredible value. It means your spouse, honouring your spouse. 1 Peter 3, 7, just, there's no escape from this, guys. It says, respect your wives so that nothing will hinder your prayers. If your prayers aren't getting answered, go there first. How are you treating your wife? Wives don't. Don't do it. 
The last one here, and I want to raise this potentially as a message on its own, is how do I actually honour myself? How do I treat myself as God's possession? How do I treat myself as someone of value? Because you, you literally cannot value someone else if you don't know how to be valued. If you don't know how to, you can't love someone if you don't feel loved. You can't give from what you haven't got. If you don't value yourself appropriately, you, you can't love and value other people. And so we're going to tease that out over the next few weeks. But let's finish on how do we, we honour God fully. And um, I don't want to skim over this, but I'll, let me just introduce it. Honouring God fully requires head, heart and hands. It's, it's actions, it's words, it's thought, and dare I say it, it's emotion, which is much harder for us in the West. Jesus quoted Isaiah 29, talking about the religious folk, and uh, it's the equivalent of us in his day. Those who... I'm a card-carrying Christian, I go to church, I do this stuff. Right? He's talking parallel. These people come near to me with their mouth and they honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they've been taught. Hey, how sobering is that? We've, we're honouring God based on what we've been taught in the pulpits, uh, in our denominations, the cultures that we've created and said, this is normal, this is acceptable. And just something rattles in me, and it has done for so many years now, that what we say is normal and acceptable in church world is not, not normal at all in the kingdom world, where there's extravagant worship, extravagant praise, where people think of God and they fall down, where, where they think of God and they spontaneously worship, no matter where they are. Have a look at this, look at this picture in heaven from Revelation 4.9. This is what it's supposed to look like as we honour God. It's, it's a picture in heaven of the angels and the elders that are up there. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay down their crowns before the throne. That, what's your crown? It's all the stuff, that, the responsibilities and the rewards and the stuff that you've got. And it's the opposite of what the world does. See, the more we get, the more we fear losing it. The older we get, the more we want to hang on. But this is saying, now the more we understand God, the more we just want to let it go. And they throw it down before God. I don't need my crown. I don't need my house. I don't need my retirement plan. I don't care what people think of me. It's all honour to you. All honour, instantly, always, everything I've got. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. This instant response of worship. This is natural honour. This is what honour begins to look like. It's a declaration of my heart and my soul and my mind of the goodness of God. It's laying everything down. It's not coming before the God of the universe in some entitled way and waits for him to prove himself before we give him all of our best. Waiting for him to open a door or, or make our life better. Waiting for our husband to get their act together or, or our boss to do something different. It's saying, Lord, regardless of where I am, I'm going to honour you in this position. And I'm going to give you glory with all I have. It's honouring him. It gets a head and a heart off us and gets it back onto him. And so as the band comes on up, come on up, guys. And I just wanted to spend a moment because in honour, of just honour of God. Because we've come in here from such different backgrounds. Some of us here may not really... You're curious about faith, but you, you haven't stepped over that line of faith yet you're still trying to figure out does God deserve my time is he is he real can I can I prove that he doesn't exist and yet we look at creation and, and it's so it's so obviously intrinsic woven in the design 
from the, from the structure of the universe down to the laws of physics and thermodynamics, they all speak the glory of God. He brought his own son, proven historically that he came, proven historically that he lived and died. And yet how much more evidence do we want? Do we, do we just demand that he proves himself to us? Do we demand that he makes our life better before we worship him? Or do we honour him as honour deserves and give him all that we've got, unconditional, bowing down, weeping, crying, laughing, thanking, and laying down our crowns before him and saying, Father, all honour, all glory, all power is yours. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as you are, not as who we are. Father, we do honour you by laying ourselves down. Father, forgive us, Lord, for our lack of faith that really shows itself out as conditional worship, as constrained worship, as holding parts of our life back from you because we just don't trust you there. To bowing to the idols in our life like comfort and people's opinions. We hear you tell us to do something or invite us to experience you more and we just want to check with our idols first. But Father, all honour to you today. Forgive us our sins. And Lord, we forgive those who sin against us. All honour to your name. As it is in heaven this morning, let it be on earth. Let's worship him together as the Lord leads you. Bless you.